So, we've um, reached our second instalment in our study of the book of Jonah. Now, when Steve introduced the book to us a couple of weeks ago, he highlighted a variety of things that we can uh, see in the book. Um, we learn about the God who wants to show mercy. We see Jonah as the wayward, angry prophet with a chip on his shoulder. We see God's dealings with pagan sailors and a pagan king. And we see examples, Steve said, of God's power over creation and the unstoppable nature of his sovereign purposes. He also put the pressure on all the speakers that would follow him by saying this is just about the most amazing book in the whole Bible and there are just so many rich things that we're going to find here. Hopefully I'm not going to disappoint with that today. And to be honest, looking at the variety of things that we see in this book, I was struggling to see an overall theme that brings it all together, apart from the one that resonates the strongest with me. In this book, we see the God of the second chance, the God who is always willing to forgive. I did like the point that Steve made when he said that the book is less about what Jonah preached, really read very little about that, um, and it's more about the object lessons that we learn from Jonah's life, especially in his response to God's call. And the challenge that Steve uh, gave us will, I think, remain with us as we go through each section of Jonah's story, and that challenge is to ask ourselves, where am I? Where are you uh, in relation to God's call? Are we running away or are we running towards? So the uh, section of the story that we're going to look at this week is what happened during the storm. Uh, the storm which hit the ship that Jonah was using to get away from God. So our passage is Jonah chapter 1 and we're reading from verse 4. <coughs> down to 16. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the <coughs> ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to the land, 
But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So that's our, our passage. And as I said, I think there are various object lessons for us throughout the book of Jonah. And I'd just like to highlight and comment on the ones that I think we can see in the passage that we're looking at this week. So here's the first one. It's about God's intervention. Actually, we've already seen God's initial intervention, haven't we? When he, he called Jonah in the first place and he told him to go and preach in Nineveh. That was God's initial intervention in the story. But because Jonah ignored that instruction, we now find God intervening again more forcibly this time. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, a violent storm, that, they, that threatened to break up the ship. When God expects us to do something and we don't, he has the right and the power to intervene in our lives in a range of different ways. Sometimes he might do nothing, or at least he appears to do nothing. Um, like, for example, as far as we know, with the many disciples of Jesus who turned back and no longer followed him. We don't know anything more about them, so we don't know if the Lord reached out and intervened in their lives again in the future. I suspect that the God of the second chance did reach out to most, if not all of them at a later date. But certainly they had lost the opportunity, hadn't they, to serve the Lord at probably the most exciting and important time in the history of this world. Sometimes we might not want God to intervene in our lives, um, but sometimes, and I suspect this might have been the case with all those disciples that turned back and no longer followed the Lord Jesus, sometimes we might be sorry afterwards that he didn't. Either way, it's God's right to choose if, when, and how he chooses to intervene. Examples, the case of Paul, Saul as he was, um, must have known something of the gospel that the first Christians were preaching. His response, to deny the truth and go on the offensive. God's response to Paul's response, he intervened, didn't he, on the road to Damascus. Another example, the book of Revelation. The Lord is looking at the condition and the activities of a number of churches. It's not what he expects. He intervenes. How did he intervene on that occasion? He sent letters. Letters warning them of what they needed to do. Corinth, another example, when the behaviour of the church was so appalling that he intervened in a much more firm and painful way, says in 1 Corinthians 11, that the Lord intervened with judgment and discipline. And the result of that was weakness, illness, and some of the church members had even died. Now that seems harsh to us, doesn't it? But I think it just highlights how serious it is when we don't take God seriously. 
So my point here is to highlight that when God wants to intervene in human affairs, when he wants to intervene in your life or my life, whether it be a calling to do something or whether it might be an encouragement for us to stop doing something that we shouldn't be doing, he will do whatever it takes to get our attention. In the case of Jonah, it was a violent storm. Which brings me on to our second object lesson, I think, in the first couple of verses. I've called this the law of unintended consequences. So let's say that we have heard God's call, either something specific, like in the case of Jonah, um, or the more general lifestyle call that we see throughout the Bible, and New Testament especially, and we choose to ignore it. Now we might choose to run away from God in a dramatic way like, like Jonah, or maybe a slight dramatic version of that one, is if we just stop coming to church, we stop reading our Bible, and we just kind of forget that we'd ever been a Christian. Um, or maybe we choose to do something that we know is contrary to God's will. Or maybe we just content ourselves to live a sort of lukewarm version of Christianity. You know, we just kind of carry on going to church and stuff, but we're just going through the motions, really. In each case, we might appreciate that a consequence of our actions, for us, might be to miss out on some of the fullness of Christian living that the Lord Jesus um, spoke about. And like maybe the disciples I've already, I've already mentioned. But what about the consequences of our actions or inactions for other people? You know, the betrayal by Judas caused danger for all the disciples, not just the, not just the Lord Jesus. The disobedience of Achan that we read about in Joshua 7 led to 37 Israelites being killed by the enemy. And the actions of Jonah led to a storm which threatened the lives of everyone on board the ship consequences for other people and what if our behavior undermines the gospel in some way what if people look at us and see nothing of the life-changing power of the gospel what are the consequences for anyone who is dissuaded from believing the gospel because of what they see of it in your life or mine we need to be aware, don't we, of the law of unintended consequences. Our lives matter. They impact other people. None of us is an island. So that's two object lessons. Here's another one. What can we conclude from an untroubled conscience? In verse 5, we read that Jonah had gone to sleep in the bottom of the boat, and it seemed he seems to be blissfully unaware of all the trouble that he was causing up on deck. Have you ever struggled to get to sleep because of something on your mind? I bet you have. I'm sure we've all been there. And the greater the worry, whether it be um, about your job or your health or um, concerns for friends and family, um, the greater the worry, the harder it is to get to sleep, even when you might be really tired. And here we have Jonah, quite possibly very tired, exhausted from all his efforts to get away from God. But nonetheless, he had disobeyed the Almighty God. Jonah of all people, remember he's a prophet, Jonah of all people should have known that was a big deal. 
the worst thing he could possibly do. And yet he seems to be relatively, relatively untroubled. Um, his, his, his conscience probably wasn't completely clear, but nonetheless, nothing that prevented him sleeping like a baby down in the hold. I think, and I might be reading too much into this, forgive me if I am, but I'm just going to suggest this. I think that the object lesson here is a reminder that our consciences can deceive us. Um, as the scriptures say, our consciences can become seared or corrupted. They can allow us to do things um, which are contrary to God's will without it worrying us too much. Now, it's been well said that one way that we might know God's will when we make decisions in life, especially difficult decisions, is to pray about it, to read the Bible, to um, consult with other Christians. And then if we feel peace with the proposed plan of action, then that should be enough. And I'm not going to argue with that approach. That's a really, really good approach to making difficult decisions. But I do just want to add that we need to be careful. We need to be careful, especially if the plain reading of the Bible and the, uh, the advice from mature Christians is at odds with whatever we want to do, with, at, at odds with the decision that we feel drawn to, that we apparently have peace with. Because, as I think we see in the case of Jonah, not feeling guilty or troubled about something isn't always an indicator that we're not that we're, that we're doing the right thing. So I think that's our. I'm suggesting that's our third object lesson from the passage. Fourth object lesson is to do with God's mercy. I'm going to say a little bit more about this one. We read that all the sailors were afraid. The storm was so bad that they all thought they were going to die. You, you don't throw all the, all the stuff that you're carrying that, you know, that, that merchants own um, overboard for no good reason. They, they thought they were going to die. Uh, and despite all their efforts, there was nothing that they seemed to be able to do about that. So they called out to the gods that they believed in and the captain told Jonah to do the same. What did they want the gods to do? In verse 6, um, we see that they wanted the gods to take notice of us so that we will not perish. We don't actually have the word mercy in the passage, but I think that's what we can reasonably read into, into it. They had nothing to offer the gods, so to speak, but they were hoping that the gods would save them nonetheless. It was a cry, an appeal for mercy. Some of the words associated with mercy in the Bible are words like pity and compassion and kindness. Mercy can describe someone's character and mercy also describes um, what someone might do as a result of their merciful character. Um, when someone is merciful in heart, then we can expect them to show mercy. We get that expression a lot in the Bible. God is a God who shows his mercy. He acts in a meaningful way. To take pity on someone in need and then also to do something about it to help them. You have the mercy in the pity and the compassion that you feel and then the showing of mercy is the 
doing something about it. And that's what the sailors were hoping for, that the gods that they believed in would hear them and, and do something to save them. Grace and mercy, actually two words which are very closely linked in the Bible, and we probably shouldn't try to define them quite as separately as we, as we sometimes um, do. Uh, we often say that grace is um, something, is doing something for someone that they don't deserve, and mercy is not doing something to someone that they do deserve, like, for example, withholding punishments from someone who deserves um, punishment. But in reality, I don't think there's an awful lot between these definitions. Uh, and we see that in Hebrews 4 and 16. We're told what we can expect when we approach God's throne of grace. It says that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So grace and mercy both describe the character of God and also what he does as a result of his grace and mercy. He helps us in our time of need. Now for our object lesson, I just want to focus on two words. One from Hebrews 4 and 16, you don't need to turn to it, um, and the other is from our passage in Jonah. So the captain said to Jonah that he should call on his God and maybe he would save them. Maybe. That's the first word. Despite the various gods and the matter be many that the sailors believed in, they had no expectation, no confidence that any of them would do anything to help them in their situation. But in Hebrews 4, we're told that we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Confidence. You know, many people in the world place their hope, their trust, their reliance in all sorts of people and, 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 and things, don't they? Uh, friends, family, investments, pensions, law enforcement, doctors, governments, uh, flood defences and so on and, and, and so on and, and we know that all of these things can let us down at times but when we ask God for help we can have confidence the Bible tells us that he will supply all the help that we need it might not always be all the help that we wanted but it will be in his divine wisdom all the help that we need and I think that's what we see here in Jonah's response a confidence in God's mercy. Jonah knew that the storm was his fault, that we read, in, read that in verse 12, and he was confident that God would show mercy to the sailors if they did what he told them. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. Jonah also had a very confident understanding of God's righteousness. He knew that he deserved punishment. And there's no indication in the passage that he expected to be saved personally as a result of what he told them to do. He was ready to die to receive the punishment that he deserved for his sins. But I wonder whether maybe he had a similar understanding of God's mercy that King David did um, on one of the occasions that he sinned. You might remember it, I'm sure you do. Uh, 2 Samuel 24, um, David had sinned. Um, and God gave him three options for punishment. Famine, plague, or to be pursued by his enemies. And David said in his response, he said, let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. 
do not let me fall into human hands. So this is another part of our object lesson about God's mercy. Not only can we have confidence that God will help us in our times of need, but even when our actions might require some form of judgment or discipline, the discipline of God, mercy is never far away. And indeed, as it, it says in Hebrews 12, God only disciplines as a father disciplines his children. His discipline is always for our, for our good. So I think the next object lesson, if I might move swiftly on, suddenly time just, uh, I think there's something wrong with that clock. Someone must have put a too powerful battery in it. It's running fast, I think, I hope. The next object lesson is verse 12. It's about the dangers of an imbalanced perspective. And all I want to point out here is that it's interesting that Jonah was willing to save, um, to die to save the lives of these pagan sailors. And he had been unwilling to do as God had told him to save the lives of a whole city. I think it goes back to what Steve was telling us about in his introduction. Jonah really had a hatred for the Assyrians. Um, he developed a prejudice against them. And it had created, I suggest, an imbalance in his perspective. Any or all of the sailors on board with him um, could have been just as bad as any of the people of Nineveh. But he seemed to have the view that they were worth saving, but the people of Nineveh weren't. We need to be careful that we don't develop prejudice against any group of people or any type of behaviour. We don't have time to, to look at this um, any further, so I just want to leave the point, um, leave this point with the words of the Lord Jesus that I, I referred to earlier during our remembrance service. Um, John chapter 8, when the woman caught in adultery was brought, he said, let any of you, to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were accusing her, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. It's not for us to judge. We should show God's love equally to all, bearing in mind that we are all sinners saved by grace. I'm going to say no more about that one. Here's another contrast, verse 13. A contrast between the attitude of Jonah and the attitude of the pagan sailors. Jonah had told them what to do to save their lives. And in verse 13, it says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. And I think the contrast is simply to note how hard the sailors tried to save Jonah's life with how little Jonah was willing to do to save the lives of the people of Nineveh. And sadly, I think it's often the case that unbelievers can have more compassion, more love, more willingness to do things to help other people, even complete strangers, than those who claim to know the love of God, who claim to be followers of Christ. And I think the object lesson here is just quite simply that we can often learn lessons in practical Christianity from people who are not even Christians at all. And when we see or hear about people doing things in their community or for charity or for any other praiseworthy cause, then maybe we should just ask ourselves, is that something that I should be doing um, or at the very least um, supporting? God wants us to show his love and mercy to everyone, not just to 
our friends, family and other Christians in our church. So only one more to go. Um, final contrast I want to highlight, our final object lesson is in verse 16. It says, At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows to him. Where's the contrast this time? Jonah. Jonah knew God well. He knew what God expected. He knew what God could do. And yet he still ran away and was unwilling to serve. The pagan sailors hardly knew anything about God. Jonah had perhaps told them a little, um, and they'd seen one sign, one little appetizer of God's power and mercy. What did they do in response? They offered a sacrifice, and they made vows. I don't know what the vows were, but it seems likely that they were some sort of pledges of service or pledges of behaviour in thanksgiving for their salvation. So here's the challenge. Um, many people try their very best to serve God or their understanding of God with only a very limited um, understanding of who God is and what he's done. And in contrast, we know so much more, don't we? I don't just mean the head knowledge that comes from studying the Bible, but everything that we know of God in our relationship with him as a result of what God has revealed to us in the Bible. Um, I guess we'd like to think that we know the Lord um, a lot better than those who live in ignorance. And, and the challenge I think this just leaves with us is to ask ourselves, so what are we willing to do? What are we willing to sacrifice? What vows are we willing to make? So, if I might just very quickly summarise, I said at the beginning we have a variety of object lessons and I was struggling to find some sort of theme that sewed them all together so I have just kind of given them as standalone things. Um, but just a very quick summary of what we've thought about. Number one, we thought about how God may intervene in our lives um, more so if we're not living according to his will. His, his interventions might sometimes be painful um, but we should be grateful for them nonetheless. Number two, we thought about the Lord of unintended consequences, how our actions or inactions can affect far more people than just ourselves. Number three, we thought about the law um, or the, um, the effect of an untroubled conscience. Uh, number four, we thought about the confidence we can have in God's mercy, that he'll always help us in our time of need. Um, although, as I said, the help we get might not be the help we wanted. Uh, number five, we thought about the need to have a balanced perspective, to be self-aware of bias and prejudices that might creep into our thinking. Number six, we've been challenged about how the behaviour of non-Christians, good works, compassion and other um, Christian qualities, how they can sometimes put us to shame. And we should allow the examples of other people to inspire us and affect the way we live our lives and and, and serve the Lord. And, and the last one, our final challenge, was just to consider bearing in mind all that we know of what God has done for us uh, and all that he expects from us is to consider if we're really doing enough um, to live the lives that he wants us to live, whether maybe there are more sacrifices and more vows, uh, pledges 
that we should be giving to God in return for everything that he's done for us. So that's it, guys. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at what happened to Jonah after he was thrown overboard. Exciting, eh? <laughs> Let's see what happens.